Now and then, I'm going to share with you some clips from my training programs, like the Mental Ninja Mastery. Every month, I go live with the students, and I train them for an hour on a topic, and then I do an hour-long Q&A with the group. You'll see a link in the show notes for more information on this monthly program, and you'll also find it on www.innerintegration.com. In this episode, I'm going to share with you a part of the training that I did recently in March with the Mental Ninjas on resetting your defense mechanisms and setting yourself up for success. They loved this session because they were able to identify ways that they were self-sabotaging their healing, happiness, and success. This is Meredith Miller, and you're listening to the Inner Integration Podcast, where you can learn the mindsets and tools to self-heal after narcissistic abuse. We develop coping mechanisms in childhood that protect us from fear, uncertainty, pain, and overwhelming anxiety so we can survive stressful, difficult, or negative situations. These coping skills are, for the most part, unconscious reactions to unpleasant experiences or memories of past experiences that get triggered in present day. Some of our defense mechanisms have short-term advantages but often cause long-term problems in dealing with our self-esteem, relationships, and success in life in general. This affects our ability to thrive because we keep repeating the same dysfunctional patterns that we learned in the past. In order to thrive, we need to free our minds from the old defense mechanisms holding us back and then upgrade them into more mature ways of dealing with difficult situations, stress, and discomfort. This upgrade requires first facing the truth about our own dysfunctional patterns and learning how to deal with life and feelings in more constructive ways. All of the defense mechanisms or coping mechanisms are like forms of self-protection for when we feel threatened or overwhelmed. They all involve some level of denial, avoidance, or distortion of the uncomfortable aspects of reality or stressful feelings that come up. I created five archetypes to summarize the most common defense mechanisms from the ones talked about in psychology. And I came up with these five archetypes by noticing them within myself and also with the clients that I've worked with over the recent years. So these five primitive, immature archetypes are all forms of self-sabotage. Self-sabotage is a huge struggle after abuse. It's how we get in our own way and how we block our forward movement. And it's heavily based on fear. So if you're following along on your PDFs, the first one here that we're going to talk about is the pleaser. So the pleaser archetype is very common in victims and survivors of abuse because we're taught and groomed to please the abuser. This behavior is also called fawning. That's F-A-W-N, fawning, where you try hard to please someone where you flatter someone or you're extremely nice and generous to them. You might idealize someone who's actually hurting you, either to their face or even in your own mind. The pleaser is the archetype that's operating when we're caretaking people who don't respect us, when we're trying to earn their approval or affection or love, when we're giving more than receiving, And we keep giving more, thinking that the other person will then reciprocate if we keep giving more, but then they just keep taking. 
So while there's nothing wrong with being a giving person or being generous, the pleaser defense mechanism can lead you into self-destructive patterns. The negative aspect of the pleaser drains your life force energy. It encourages you to sacrifice what you really want and even to sacrifice yourself, your health, your sanity, your well-being in the process. When you're in situations when you say yes, when you want to say no, the pleaser is the archetype functioning behind the scenes. If you've been sexually abused, you'll notice how this comes up when someone's trying to force you into having sex and you don't want to, but for some reason your body just can't run out of there and scream no, and instead you fawn and you give in to them. The pleaser is also active when you don't like someone, but instead of being sincere with them or setting healthy boundaries with them, you flatter them or you're generous with them. And then later you're thinking, what was I doing? The pleaser is also active when you want to set boundaries with someone who's taking and taking too much, but somehow you find yourself doing their laundry, paying for them or defending them in some way. It could also be when you set a boundary and then you take it back or when you go no contact and then you let someone back in. Basically, anytime you do the opposite of what you really want to do, you're operating from the pleaser archetype. In psychology, they call these defense mechanisms reaction formation, which is when you do the opposite of what you actually want to do, and undoing, which is like when you set the boundary and then you take it back. So the question that you can write here in the PDF or in your own notebook is ask yourself right now and reflect, in what ways do you notice the pleaser behavior or thinking in yourself? And list some examples of how the pleaser operates in your life. So these could be past examples, they could be really distant past, or they could be recent events. Because either way, you can learn from the past ways that you've handled situations to see how you're transmuting those into mature ways when we get to that next section of today's training. So just write down some bullet points, you know, that time when, you know, I, I said no, that this wasn't okay with me, and I set that boundary, and then that person sweet-talked me into taking the boundary back, you know, or that time when I really didn't want to have sex with that person or even take them back to my house, but somehow they talked me into that and I went along with that. Or, you know, that colleague at work that you've been dealing with that you can't stand because that person's a manipulator. And yet instead of setting boundaries or just being really sincere with that person, you fawn with them. You, you maybe tell them what a nice shirt they're wearing that day or you're generous with them and you do some work for them. This could even go back much further in your life, maybe to family patterns and ways that the pleaser comes up for you in your family and how you deal with manipulative people in your family. So jot down a couple examples that come to mind of you being in that archetype of the pleaser where you're sacrificing yourself, you're sacrificing your needs, you're not able to honor your own feelings because you're acting in the opposite way or maybe you set that boundary but then you take it back. These examples will probably be plentiful for the pleaser because this is one of the most common behaviors that we're taught from abuse. It's really the foundation of codependency is the people pleasing. And these behaviors that we have, or even the thinking behind them, can cause us deep shame. 
in the moment, but usually afterwards when we're looking back, right? So maybe you're looking at that list of some things you wrote down and you're feeling those feelings of shame. Give yourself a break, you know, recognize you didn't have the tools then to recognize what was going on, to recognize how that defense mechanism wasn't serving you in the long term. No one had taught you that. In fact, they taught you just the opposite. They taught you to do that, to serve abusive and manipulative people in that way. And you know, if you grew up in a family like that, that was your form of survival. Even in an adult relationship, that could be a form of survival getting through the day-to-day with an abusive person, not wanting them to go off, to freak out, to hurt you in some way, or even just to avoid the covert abuse and the pain, that deep emotional pain that comes with the kinds of covert abuse that people might do. So again, focus on, on releasing that shame and telling yourself you didn't know any better. You just simply didn't have the tools then, and you were taught to do that. It wasn't your fault. So the second archetype is the rationalizer. Rationalizer is also a result of abuse training and grooming where the abuser has a rational explanation for things that they do or they rationalize away their wrongdoings. They use the famous plausible deniability or other minimizing techniques. Then what happens is later you end up doing the same thing to yourself. The rationalizer is the defense mechanism that causes you to intellectualize, to explain, or to justify either to yourself or to other people why you make certain decisions that aren't okay for you or why you accept people in your life who aren't treating you with respect. The rationalizer makes excuses for yourself and others. That's the bottom line. So while there's nothing wrong with thinking rationally and logically, and that's important in life, when the rationalizer is used as a defense mechanism, it could be putting you in harm's way. The negative aspect of the rationalizer is that you'll tell yourself things that will keep you accepting abuse and mistreatment. You'll notice it when you rationalize about the abuser and your thought processes sound like they had a bad childhood or my parent did the best they could, or my partner or my boss really didn't mean it that way, or it's really not that bad. I mean, some people have it much worse. The rationalizer could show up when you're justifying to yourself that you're staying in an abusive or disrespectful situation because you're trying to help the other person or you're trying to get them to see the wrong of their ways so they'll change. The rationalizer is about refusing to see reality and talking yourself into accepting harmful people in situations. In psychology, they call this defense mechanism intellectualization or rationalization. So in your PDF or in your notebook, the question for this one is to ask yourself right now, in what ways do you notice this kind of behavior or thinking in yourself? Someone said, stop talking about me. I think everybody can relate to this. Just like the first one, the pleaser, the rationalizer is so common, right? So list some of those examples of how the rationalizer operates in your life. And again, those could be distant past or more recent present situations. Someone else said in me, yeah, it's just so common. You know, these, these archetypes are so common among those of us who have been through these abusive situations. You know, because of the grooming, because of the training, 
for that abuse. We were trained to be prime targets for that. And then we internalize that and we do it to ourselves. So write down those examples, just bullet points of when things happen. And again, if you notice those shame feelings coming up as you're looking at that list, remind yourself that wasn't your fault. You were trained to do that and you just didn't have the tools to know any better. You know, even if this happened this morning or last week, maybe you just didn't have the tools. Now you see it. And then in the third part of today's session, you're going to find out how you can transmute that into a more mature defense mechanism. So any of those thoughts that you have, the ways that you've rationalized or minimized, made excuses for, write those down. You know, and the good news too is as you're becoming more aware of how these patterns show up in your personal life, that's going to help you so much in the present moment as you're facing new experiences when you're like, oh, this is one of those experiences, just like in the past, where I'm tempted to rationalize that away. And this person standing in front of me is really convincing. And their argument is totally rational and totally logical and totally based in plausible deniability. But that feeling inside me, I feel that now. And I recognize that now. And I know I'm not going to rationalize this to myself. I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to continue contributing to that. So keep transmuting those feelings of shame into a new sense of empowerment based on that awareness. That mental thinking of the rationalizer, right? It's really good at, someone just wrote over here too, that's me not listening to my intuition. Exactly. The rationalizer is really good at drowning out those feelings, the feelings that are coming from your body, the feelings that are coming from your intuition, that ick or that anxiety, or that fear, that something that's showing up, and then your mind kicks in, and it starts rationalizing away those feelings. That's the defense mechanism. That's how it works. So it's stopping you from experiencing the unpleasant feelings of facing reality that nobody really wants to feel, right? And so then we go to the mind, to that rationalization, and then we kind of mute those feelings out, which is how you end up muting out your intuition, and then later feeling like you're not really connected to your intuition because your mind is confusing you. That's another big thing that a lot of people tell me. is like, well, you know, I really don't know if I can trust my intuition. It's not always right. And I tell them your intuition is always right. It's your mind that tricks you. Your mind kicks in and it does that defense mechanism and it confuses you and it talks you out of that. So that, that's a great observation. The third archetype of the primitive and immature defense mechanisms is the runner the runner corresponds to the flight and freeze in the, the four F response to stress. So those four Fs being fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. So we already talked about fawn. This one is flight and freeze. The runner is operating when we isolate ourselves or withdraw from life in order to not face reality. Sometimes it's like we just check out of this time and space. It's like you might feel like you kind of left your body or something. And this could show up in many different ways. It could show up in sleeping too much. Like you don't want to face reality, so you just sleep too much. Or maybe you just don't get out of bed or off the sofa. Like maybe you're awake, but like you just can't get out of bed to face the day. On the flip side, it could be about workaholism, right? So maybe in order to face the reality at home, you're in a bad relationship with someone, or maybe you're living with family. And instead of facing that and the inner feelings that would other otherwise creep up to the surface, you totally pour yourself into your work and you work like crazy. That's a form of escape. 
The runner is also involved in escaping through addictions, fantasies, and other distractions. The runner could show up in moments where you find yourself behaving like a child as if you had regressed in time. That's another form of escape. So knowing when to exit the playing field is good. That's healthy. However, when the runner defense mechanism takes over as a way of avoiding reality, it will lead you into self-destructive patterns. The negative aspects of the runner will show up, for example, when your boss treats you like crap, so you start drinking heavily every night. Or when you're in a bad relationship at, at home, so you take on too many work projects in order to avoid spending time at home or feeling how you really feel. Or maybe you're in some kind of program at school and you have this really hard assignment and instead of facing it and getting it done, you spend all day playing video games to avoid facing it. The runner could show up when you're in a fight with someone who's like driving you insane with their provocations, particularly the covert types. And then you find yourself throwing a temper tantrum like you're three years old. You've just regressed in time. The runner is also active when you're in a stressful or scary situation and your body just freezes. It's like your mind zones out and maybe you lose track of minutes or even hours because you were simply gone. Like you just don't even know where that time went. You just kind of blacked out. With the runner, you'll rarely notice an inner dialogue about things like with the rationalizer. So with the rationalizer, there's that heavy inner dialogue. With the runner, you won't notice that. Instead, it's more like automatic behaviors that you automatically turn to when things are too intense. In psychology, these defense mechanisms are called isolation, withdrawal, dissociation, and regression. So the question for this one, which you can write in the PDFs or in your notebook, is ask yourself right now, in what ways do you notice this running behavior or thinking in yourself? And list some examples of how the runner operates in your life. So, you know, maybe you notice like when things get really stressful at work, you have this particular habit that you do to distract yourself from that instead of facing it. Or when you're in your relationship or when you were in your relationship, there was this thing that you always did in order to not really feel what was going on, in order to not really face that reality. Someone said, does this include getting lots of illnesses? That's really an interesting point. So I'm going to talk about somatization in a little bit. And you'll, you'll feel that out if it's more related to the other one or to this one. But in a way, and I hadn't thought of this before, getting an illness is a way of tapping out, right? Like if, if you get hurt, it could even be an accident. So you break your ribs or something, you're laid out in bed or you get some kind of illness that lays you out in bed. That's an escape from reality because then you don't have to go to work. So maybe you have a shitty boss in this awful situation at work and you really don't want to go. So you keep manifesting all these illnesses so you don't have to go. Great example. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned how you got these injuries from someone hurting you. This could be one of those ways. So again, I'm going to let you think of how this shows up in your life. Was the illness more of an escape or was it more of a somatization of the anger? That's going to be the next archetype we'll talk about. So like, what were those distractions? Like, is it some kind of addiction like for me workaholism was one of my main addictions and i didn't even recognize it as a negative thing didn't even get it and then i read pete walker's website if you don't know pete walker he wrote a book about complex ptsd that's a great book and also his website and he talked about flight because he's the one who talks about the four f's 
that 4F response state. And in flight, he mentioned workaholism. When I heard that, my mind was blown. And I realized how much I was using that as a distraction. So put that bullet pointed list of those main things, those main ways that you escape. And this might be one of the harder ones to really identify because again, this one is so unconscious. Like most of these are operating in unconscious ways, but this one involves almost no thinking process, maybe later, but in the moment, there's really no thinking process going on. It's just like this automatic thing. Like if you're someone who tends to dissociate where I mentioned where you just lose track of minutes and hours could even be days at a time when you're in that severe dissociation state, you have no idea it's happening when it's happening. All you know is later, like, where did the time go? Like, what did I do today? What did I do for the last two hours? I don't even know, right? So this could be extremely unconscious. Someone asked, does this include sex with the abusive partner? This could be, this in many different ways, it could be like, maybe you don't want to have sex with that person, but you go along with it, which is the first one, the pleaser. And then during the act, you so don't want to be there that you dissociate. So if you've ever had sex with someone, maybe a healthy person, and they say to you, where'd you go? You dissociated. You weren't present. Maybe you have, maybe it wasn't even about that person, but you have a history of sexual abuse trauma. And so you have a habit of dissociating while you're having sex just because of that, the body memory, right? Even if that person that you're with is not an abuser or any kind of bad person and, and they're really loving to you but it's the past programming. So that could definitely happen. Or it could be that you're using sex as an escape. Like maybe the relationship is so bad and there's no real connection. There's no real intimacy, let's say at an emotional or spiritual level. And sex is the only time that you feel somewhat connected to that person. Even if the sex is unpleasant, even if they force you to do things that you don't want to do, or even if it's just not really exciting, maybe you escape into the sex because you think, okay, this is when we're like actually close. Like this is when I feel like maybe he or she actually really does love me. So that, that could possibly manifest like that. Yeah. You said that's exactly what happened in the past. That makes sense. You know, and again, I mean, especially with this issue, like you could feel a lot of shame around that with all of these things, looking at, you know, the way that, that we've dealt with these stressful, difficult situations, remind yourself, those were stressful, difficult situations. It wasn't your fault. You just didn't know. You didn't have the tools to deal with them. And given the abusive environment that you were in, you were encouraged not to deal with that in a healthy way. You know, that, that wouldn't serve the abuser or the manipulator in any kind of way. There are two more of these primitive defense mechanisms. I also created five archetypes of mature defense mechanisms that you can train yourself to put in place in order to stop the self-sabotage cycle and help yourself thrive in life. If you want more content like this, but a deeper dive to help you thrive after narcissistic abuse, be sure to join the Mental Ninja Mastery, our monthly subscription program. Every month, I go live with the students and train them for an hour on a topic, and then I do an hour-long Q&A with that group. The replays are always posted in the members area afterward. If you sign up for the Mental Ninja Mastery today, you'll get access to the replay of that entire training that I just gave you a little clip from, as well as the Q&A session with the Mental Ninjas afterward. Plus, you'll get several other trainings that are worth their weight in gold. 
You'll also get to be part of a private community for mental ninjas where you can connect with kindred spirits in a safe online environment. I'll put the link to the Mental Ninja Mastery Program in the show notes, and you'll also see it offered on the homepage. Our next live session is Saturday, May 25th. Don't miss it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Inner Integration Podcast. I hope you learned something today that helps you see from a new perspective so you can take new action and transform your life after narcissistic abuse. Remember, you are enough, you matter, and you got this. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to get automatic updates on new podcast episodes as they're released. Visit us online at www.innerintegration.com where you'll get a free three-part video course when you enter your name and email on the homepage. Get loads of more free content to help you heal after narcissistic abuse on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Big hug to you.